I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15 here this morning. Luke 15. I'm ringing just a little bit up here. Um, Ethan, I don't know if that's something we could turn down a little bit. Thank you. Sunday I was preaching, this last Sunday I was preaching up in Appleton, and uh, the, the monitors were ringing so bad. I was telling Carl that I stopped in the middle of the message and said, okay, how many of you are, this is driving crazy, and half of them raised their, their hands, but I took the mic off and said, okay, just keep me behind this, because that's very distracting, but anyways, it sounds a lot better. Thank you very much, Ethan. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 15. On Sunday, uh, well, two Sundays ago, I think it was two Sundays ago, uh, November 13th, pastor asked me to preach, and I dealt with the fact that Jesus is a pursuing God. You guys remember that? Remember that service? And I tried in the beginning of that service to give by way of introduction to help us to understand why that understanding is so, so vitally important, that we don't focus just on what Jesus does for us and does for humanity, but that we very much understand his very essence, his nature, who he What I want Another attribute of God that too often we've simply a list of doctrines and attributes and theology, but we've missed this is his nature. We're going to do that. And, and I want to just help us understand this as much as I can. The reason why this is so important is because Jesus Christ, the man, Jesus Christ, the person, is far more than theology. Christ is the, is the only one that gives true life to Christianity. During the student, Judson Student Body Chapel, uh, Judson preached about Christ being all in all. And for some of you, I think probably all you gathered from that message is, okay, well, when it comes to salvation, Jesus is the only way. But what we are dealing with is far more than just salvation theology. We are dealing with the life of the believer. If you do not know the person Christ, if you don't know the one Jesus who you can go to in your prayer and be very transparent, honest, brutally, painfully honest before him, knowing that as you are on your knees before him, he's coming beside you and putting that arm around you, just pulling you in close. If Jesus is not that real to you, young people, what I am pleading uh, for you to understand and to ask the Lord is this, Lord, make him that real to me, because if he is not, you are missing all of Christianity. See, the very person, Christ, our purpose as a college is not to uphold strong standards as a church, is to not just pursue revival, it is to pursue the knowledge of Christ. Everything you would have for life and godliness, everything that you need is all wrapped up in the knowledge of one person, and it's Jesus Christ. So it's very important that we understand who is this one that the life is all about. So this morning, I want to preach in type. Jesus Christ, a forgiving God. Forgiveness is not just what he does, it's who he is. 
In Luke chapter 15, I referenced this on the other Sunday night, this is part of a, uh, a trilogy of parables where Jesus is communicating his pursuit of mankind. There, the parable of the lost sheep that he had a 99 set aside and he pursues the one till he finds it. And then the next parable is the parable of the lost coins where the woman who has 10 coins, she sets aside the nine because she lost one and so she pursues it until she finds it. Teaching pursuit. And this third of three parables, the parable of the lost boy, continue same theme of understanding that, that the father was not willing to cut his losses. No, he was waiting and seeking and longing and I'm sure interceding. And the day came when the boy crested the hill and he pursued his son. But that also teaches us, not just the pursuit of the father, but teaches us a great lesson in the forgiveness of the father. I want you to look with me in Luke 15, starting in verse 11, as we start here and try to understand what does this passage teach me about God? And let me back up and just make this one statement. We are, we have to do this um, intentionally. You have to go to the passage intentionally and say, Lord Jesus, what does this teach me about you? Because our very natural human thinking is we go to the scriptures and say, Lord, what does the scripture tell me I am supposed to? That is important because the scripture does have something for us to do. Our doing will never be truly motivated unless we understand who he is. Let me give you a for instance. In our DBS Bible study several weeks ago, we were looking at the passage where Paul comes to Mars Hill and he preaches to them. If you were in one of the adult Bible studies, does anybody remember that that, uh, DBS passage? Okay, Paul comes there, uh, he's, he's noticing, he's pressed in the spirit and there's great needs here. And he goes and he preaches... Mars Hill, and this text actually tells us that the people, uh, they're, they're thinking the way they live. They're unusual from any other city because in that city, their desire was to learn a new thing. They're always looking for some new knowledge. And, and so in our DBS, we'll have those three questions. So what does this text teach you about you? What does this text teach you about God? And, and so often we look at that text and we say, okay, what does this teach me about God? And our natural thinking is, well, that teaches me that God wants me to go soul winning. Instead of looking at that passage and saying, you know what this teaches me about God? This teaches me that years ahead of time, God was preparing an entire city for the message of Paul. That's what that teaches me about God. There's much to learn about God, but what I want to do is look at passages and say, what does this tell me about the very nature of other? And you may be afraid to take it at face value because it cuts cross grain to our natural thinking, which is what this message is going to do. Because... A forgiving God goes beyond what we naturally, humanly think is acceptable. We often will take forgiveness if we feel forgivable. But Jesus goes beyond that. Starting in verse 11, Jesus sets up this parable of two sons. He says this, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fail his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself... He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be married. The story is often called the story of the prodigal son. Why is it called the story? Someone define for me the word prodigal. Does anybody know the definition of the word prodigal? Someone put your hand up there and give a guess. Sam? Wayward, Sam says. How many of you think the word prodigal means wayward? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you, if you're honest, it actually doesn't mean wayward, but that's what I thought it meant. What's the, what does somebody else think the word prodigal means? Zeb? Lavish. Lavish. Prodigal. Mean lost. It doesn't mean wayward. It actually means excessive. The idea is, uh, if I can put it in illustration, let's just say I went over to Schultz's house and Mrs. Schultz made uh, an apple pie and she gave before she gave me the piece, she took out that miracle, or not miracle, uh, whipped cream. That, that would be weird. Uh, took out the whipped cream, and let's just say she takes that piece of pie and goes. <laughs> Some of you guys are thinking, that would be awesome, right? And I would look at Mrs. Schultz, and I would say, man, Mrs. Schultz, you're prodigal with the cream. That's the idea. Now, I love the cream, but she went beyond what she even needed to. Now, I would say no, that, that's a good thing, but she, she, went, she was excessive. And I don't mean uh, necessarily wasteful, though it can be wasteful. There's a reason why this boy is called the prodigal, because he excessively, wastefully, lavishly spends his living. But I believe this story could be renamed the story of the prodigal father. For we see in this text... Beyond our natural comprehension, a father who lavishly, excessively, though not wastefully, gives forgiveness to a son that doesn't seem to deserve it. In this text, we see this boy who comes to his father quite disrespectfully. You all have heard this text preached. He comes to his dad, and, and we don't exactly know how old this boy is, but I'm going to guess he's probably at least 18, maybe 21. Considering the lifestyle he's going to go live, if we're going to put him in our context, he's probably at least 21, because at 21, you can do everything the world has to offer, and that's what he went and did. So let's just put him at age 21. So he's a grown young man. He's of age, and he comes to his dad and very selfishly says, Father, uh, the wealth that you've been earning... You know, on those, you know, Bitcoin that's been working out for you. Okay, I, maybe not Bitcoin, I shouldn't use that one. Tesla, you know, stocks and Tesla, maybe that's not working out too well either. But, but uh, hey, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I do not have time to wait for you to die before I get my part. Give it to me now. It would be incredibly disrespectful, but, and, and let, me, let me just tell you a very quick story to put it in our context. We can understand this, the idea of what this boy is doing. A pastor friend of mine uh, that lives in the state of Minnesota, he has children, all grown, one Pastors often take uh, uh, trips to Stratton. So if you're 
but that's not the Strattons. Trip to Canada every couple of years. That's kind of his one little vacation. Strange boy called him in these trips. Taking the spending. And that's exactly what this boy is doing. Dad, I want my money now. Now, let me ask you this. If you were the father, what would you do with the prodigal son? (laughs) Right? But what does the father do? Do you think the father was surprised by the nature and the character of the boy? Do you think dad was, the son comes up to him and says, Dad, hey, I can't wait till you die. What? What? I want my money. I, I didn't know you were this selfish. I didn't know what kind of a boy you were. I can't believe you asked that. Do you think that was what the father did? I don't think so. I think he knew good and well what kind of a character this boy had. And I think the father knew if I give the money to this boy, do you know what he's going to do with it? He's going to waste it. If, if you had someone come to you and said, hey, I, I want a couple thousand dollars, and you know full well they're going to go spend it on drink or drugs, would you give it to them? But you know what this father does? Though he knows the character of the boy, though he knows what the boy will do, though he knows the boy does not have his heart, though he knows the boy is living in sin and rebellion, he still, don't miss this, gives him the goods full well intent. I will take you back when you repent. Church family, that is who your father is. Sometimes, He chooses to give us even what selfishly is not good for us, but he gives it to us for the purpose of pursuing us. Because he knows it will be what I give you that will bring you back. And when you come back, having wasted every blessing, gift, and grace that I have offered to you, I will accept you back again. And so the boy, as is his MO, takes the money and leaves town. Not many days hence, verse 13, after the younger son gathered all together, he took his journey into a far country and there, like dad I'm sure predicted, wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want or lack. He had nothing left. And so he tries to get a job to to make ends meet because he's not going back to dad. He's lost it all. If he's ever going to go back to dad, he has to come back to dad having something to show for his wealth. And so he gets a job working for this guy and the famine comes. In verse 15, when joined himself to a citizen that country, swine, oh, the imagery there. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He's finally coming to the end of his rope where this Jewish boy is living lower than the filthy pigs. And finally, verse 17, that first phrase that many of you have prayed for other people, this boy hits it, and he comes to himself, and he thinks to himself, what am I doing? This is unbelievable. I'm living in the pig pen. And and notice what he says in verse 17 remembers goodness of his father. Not for him, but for the servants. He says, uh, he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's enough and to spare, and I, being a son, I perish with hunger. So this is what I'm going to do. I will arise, I'll go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Notice what he does in verses 18 and 19. I believe this young man is completely sincere. He comes to the place where he realizes he's wasted all. He does not deserve anything from his father, but he remembers temporarily the goodness of his father because he knows, hey, 
good enough to my, his servants. Even dad's servants live. I know my dad is good because his, the people who are under his at least are taken care of. And I know will not accept me back as a son. But maybe I could be a servant. No, he remembers. He remembers the goodness of his father, but he did not remember the forgiveness of his father. Because his conclusion is, I'd never be taken back. There's no way he'd take me back. I wouldn't take Why would he take me back? At least let him disown me and hire me as a slave. That's reasonable, but it would never be reasonable. And so I won't even ask to be back into the fellowship of a son. Have you found yourself there, young people? Having fallen back into that sin that you thought you'd never go back to, and you find yourself beating on yourself, saying, it's reasonable, maybe he could let me be a second-class citizen of his kingdom, but I could never go back to Bible status. I could never go back to son status. And so we all think maybe he'll beat us a few times and at least let us live in the woodshed, but we don't expect we could go back to the right hand. And so this boy begins to rehearse his confession accurately. Confession of, Father, I've sinned against you and heaven. That is true. He confesses in his mind. He knows what the consequences ought to be. In verse 20, he's walking towards his father and he's rehearsing the confession. Have you ever been there? When you know you've got to go to your parents, as you're walking up the stairs, you're working through your mind exactly how you're going to say it, make sure it comes out right. I'm sure what this, this is what this boy is doing as well. And he crests the top of the hill, knowing he's going to confess, full well expecting to Come to the, uh, the, the, the plantation, the farm there, and knock on the front door, and someone to come to the door, and, oh, he's back. Dad, yeah, he's down at the butcher shop. Man, I'll go talk to him down there. That's what he's expecting. He's expecting to walk up to the butcher shop and knock on the door, and the door to swing open, the dad to see him, to, 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 to vent and be angry. But that's not what he receives. He crests the top of the hill, verse 20, but when he was yet... A great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be be called thy son. Notice what the young man gets through. He finishes his confession, but he is not able to finish with the consequences. The dad stops him after the confession, not allowing the consequences, hearing the confession because that's necessary. And the dad grabs in verse 22, but the father said to the servants, stop son, bring forth the best robe. It's going to get soiled, sir, when you put on that smelly boy. I don't care. Bring forth the best robe and a ring and put shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to rejoice because my son that was dead is alive. Young people, this text, oh, there's so many applications. Certainly a gospel application would be there. But the gospel to the saint is the same message that your father lavishly, prodigally desires to give. Forgiveness is not he does it's who he is if you remember the illustration that I used on Sunday night with Isaac and, and having Isaac over here and how many times we think that we're so God and yet God is coming right behind you longing for an opportunity to forgive remember Dr. Flanders preaching at a victory conference making this statement he says I'm not trying to be crass he said but notice what Jesus does or God does every time the children of Israel finally come to their senses and they repent and call out and this, these were his words he says God's forgiveness is knee-jerk reaction. It's like he...
Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 86, verse 5, and also Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah 9 uh, use very similar phrasing. 86, 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Nehemiah 9, 17. God, ready, heart, merciful, slow to anger. Great kindness. Young people, who your father is, who Christ is, the one who is longing for the opportunity. He's saying, you give me a chance and I'm ready to forgive because forgiveness is what I am all about. If you were to put a job description on Jesus Christ, job descriptions, born to die, the Christmas song says, why was he going to die? That his, shed, his blood would be shed for the purpose of forgiveness. May I put it this way, young people? He says, I've not come to call the righteous. If you are struggling, you qualify. 2 Corinthians 12, if you are weak, guess what? You qualify. You ever heard those, those commercials that are always talking about like, hey, you got debt and you're in prison? Guess what? You still qualify for our loan. You ever heard those kind of commercials? This is what Jesus is saying. We needy BDM students has nothing to offer Jesus Christ to qualify for my work. The people who don't qualify come before him and say, become so righteous. I'm a senior. I've done the hour of prayer and I'm not like other men. Those people don't qualify for the goodness of Jesus. Good. But the son here comes to the father, and the father demonstrates the fact that he is itching, ready, longing to forgive because it's not just what he does, it's who he is. Forgiveness is Christ's very name. So much we could say, we could dissect all of the, 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 the past. See him working up to uh, the point where he's going to be crucified, the interaction with Judas, pursuing Judas. Judas reconciliation, Christ going to the cross, calling uh, for the, the, the other people that the, the, the sin would not be uh, laid on their charge. All throughout the Passion Week, forgiveness of God is his very nature, it's his DNA. When you cut Jesus, he bleeds forgiveness. So, why would you, young people, resist? You'll often hear people say, Well, you need to forgive yourself. That's humanism. You need to humble yourself and let him forgive you. There's two people that will never be saved, the unbeliever and the proud. The unbeliever who does not believe Jesus could save him or Jesus is the Lord, and the proud who does not believe Jesus can save him. And there are only two kinds of Christians that will never receive forgiveness, the unbelieving and the proud. Those who don't believe Jesus would and those who won't let him. In order to go to When Jesus is saying... Come as you are, smelling like the swine. Now you say, well, okay, if, if that boy had run away again, I doubt he'd let him back in. I don't think that's who Jesus is. You ever heard the phrase, we're going to find out what you're made of? You need to wake up. Have you ever heard, find out what you're made of? Okay, you've all heard that, okay, on the defensive line of a football team and, and you know, you're wasted, you're, you're not tired the Green Bay Packers, and, you, and you're like, man, we've got to try to do better. 
and show them what you're made of. Uh, special Forces trainings, whether it be the Green, Green Berets or, or Navy SEALs, uh, their, their goal in training is to weed out all the guys that don't have the stuff, right? Because they know there's some 24-year-old kids that the only reason they're wearing this uniform and want Navy SEAL training is so that they can get the girls. And so they want to get rid of those guys. The attrition rate, the, the, the dropout rate in Navy SEAL training is like 82%. So if a group of 100 guys, they're going to only be left with 18. That's their goal. So how do they do it? Uh, they put them through pain, rigor, shame. They strip away everything seen on for a crutch, for a mask, because they want to get to the very core and find out what you are made of. You know how they do that? Pain does it. And pain is inflicted when is inflicted when you have been mistreated who you really are comes out right guys in the basketball court so that's what they do to the people in training young people consider this when Christ was hanging on the cross great pain had been inflicted beyond anything Hollywood has ever been able to portray great shame they often put a picture of him in a loincloth, but he was not wearing a loincloth because they were trying to go after ultimate shame, which would be total exposure. Christ men, he has poured himself in. Consider this. Every single one of his disciples that he's been doing Bible half years have all run. Maybe his mom is staying there, but everybody else has betrayed him for the time. His prized relationship between he and the one person he has left, he turns his back on him, and Christ is left with nothing. They're suffocating. Six hours he hangs there, and we find out what Christ is all about. And this is what comes out Father, forgive them. We find out what's, what's Jesus really made of it's forgiveness. Young people, it is a mockery and affront to Christ's name. When you know you've sinned and you wait 48 hours to try to get things back together so that he could then forgive you. And when you think that you need to do that in order for him to forgive you, it's because you don't know who Christ is. And so I use that illustration, young people. Every time I have a person standing there like Isaac did on that Sunday and I, I'm the one representing God. Young people brings tears eyes to my father. Just longing child. Just turn around. No one's not going to beat you. Yes, there might be consequences because of your foolishness. But young person, I long to forgive you. That's who your father is. That's who Christ is. I want to give one final verse here before we're going to conclude. You don't have to turn there. But Ephesians chapter 4 says this. Let all bitterness... Wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know what that verse is telling us? Two things. This is telling us Christ's forgiveness. He's telling us this you have been forgiven much. He forgave you. I, I found in my life, oftentimes when I struggle to give forgiveness, it's because I have forgotten how much I have given. Or if I can do it this way, I have found that or believe that my sin, my failure, is much more respectable than that person's. Like, I would not do what they have done. I'm certainly not that bad, and I have forgotten how much Christ has forgiven me. And so, we look, this is what he's saying. Look, bitterness, 
not, ought not be a mark of this student body. Wrath ought not be a mark of this student body. Anger or clamor or evil speaking. Put away all of it. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you. But he doesn't just say forgive other people because Christ forgave you. He says for Christ's sake. No, say for your sake. Because I would forgive few people. For he has said Sure. We come to the Father and we recognize we're frustrated, bitter, angry at what the person has done to us. And we say, but Lord, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how they hurt me in Christ. Gently turn. You've forgotten what they did to me. And I forgave them. So for my... Why don't you forgive them too? Young people, there is no staff person... A student that you have gotten frustrated with. And maybe they've done person on the face of the earth that Jesus has not already offered forgiveness for. He's come to the place where he's forgiven them. He forgave Judas if Judas would have accepted it. And if Christ, being the wounded son, scars in his hands can say, I've forgiven them, then who am I to not offer forgiveness? Forgiveness, young people, is the very heart of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're finding yourself in a situation where you're saying, I don't know if I can forgive. Then maybe go to the Lord and say, Father, I need thy forgiveness to flow. Lord, remind me of what I've been forgiven. Young people, if you find yourself struggling to receive forgiveness because you wouldn't forgive yourself if you were God, praise that you're not God and He's not like you. That He goes with this. 1 John 1 9 is one of the most famous verses we all know when it comes to forgiveness, is it not? Say it with me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that verse tells us about Christ? Two things He's faithful and He's just. Out in Yosemite, there is a geyser called Old Faithful. That unsaved, unregenerate, atheistic men have put a clock by and have said, we know this geyser will always go off. Our Father's blood is more faithful. He's faithful to forgive. But the scripture says he's just. The payment's been paid. Uh, imagine with me, this has happened to us before we get to a meeting, and uh, there's a little old lady in the church that says, Pastor, uh, you know, we, we want to take out on Tuesday for lunch, but I can't, uh, I can't make it happen. So, Pastor, here's $50. I give this to them for their lunch so that they can go out on, on Tuesday. She says, okay, puts the money in his pocket. I'll make sure I get that to the reeds. And let's just say the pastor has forgotten. This has happened before to us. And let's say Tuesday rolls around, and, and my wife says, what are we doing for lunch? I said, well, I've not heard anything from the pastor, so why don't we go out? And so let's just say we go down to filet and... For, family, and, and, we, and let's just say it all comes out to about $50. That'd be a little excessive maybe at Chick-fil-A, but let's just say it comes out to $50. We each get a couple milkshakes or something like that. And uh, let's just say we, we uh, and the pastor sees us. Now about 1 o'clock, we're getting back in. And the pastor says, oh, I totally forgot. And he runs up and knocks on my door. Hey, brother, and I roll down my window. Hey, did, did you guys just go for lunch on Tuesday afternoon? I said, yes, sir, we, we just got lunch. And the pastor would say, well, I guess I get to keep the 50 no, he wouldn't, right? That wouldn't be ethical, nor would it be just. Because someone has already made the 
payment for our lunch. So the pastor, even if I resisted the pastor, if he's a decent man, would take the money and say, Brother Reed, you have to take this payment. It's not mine. Someone paid for it. It, Justice demands that you take this payment. This is what God is saying to us. It's been paid for, young people. Are you holding on to your own debts, trying to pay them yourself? God is saying justice demands you ask forgiveness. It's coming. I am faithful and I am just. Can I ask you all to bow your heads with me here and close your eyes? Bow your heads and close your eyes, young people. The very heart of Christ is forgiveness. Right after the break, some of you learned your frailties over Thanksgiving. I do this next break because here's where I failed. Some of you maybe have been struggling for weeks with a habitual understanding, wrong understanding of who Christ is when it comes to forgiveness. And there may be someone here, we're not preaching bitterness, but there may be someone here that you've been struggling with letting go. And you need the wounded hands that says, for my sake, would you forgive?